All right. Uh, so I'm actually going to go. Uh, we, we did Luke 15 last week, and I'm actually going to go right into Luke 16 this week. It's an interesting uh, parable. We're going to talk about the first half of Luke 16. It's an interesting parable. I actually got a question about it in our uh, UCF Bible study, our, our campus Bible study on Thursday night. And it's always a puzzling parable when I come back to this one because, oh, what, what is this about again? And it's the, uh, the dishonest manager where he basically goes on a, he goes on a, a, a tear and does a, a, a liquidation of all the uh, assets and <laughs> everything must go uh, when he's about to be fired. Um, so I want to dig into that parable tonight. And, uh, but, but before I do that, um, well, no, I'll come back to that. So we're going to dig into this. Luke 16. Luke 16. And let me just read the first nine verses, uh, which are the parable itself. And then there's some things that Jesus says after that that we'll get into as well. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I decided what to do. So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. He said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. It's a puzzling story. We're not sure who to root for or who to, whose side to be on. You know, usually a parable, there's a good, a good and a bad. And this one's like, wait a minute. This is a dishonest guy, but he's commended. By the master. What's going on here? I think context, as is usually the case, in, especially in Luke, context really helps. As I said, this, this happens right after uh, Luke 15. Jesus is, is in an extended exchange with the Pharisees. Chapter 15 begins, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So we're still in this exchange with the Pharisees. This is still the context. Okay, it says, and he also said to the disciples, but Jesus Jesus often teaches his disciples for the purpose of those who are around him, so that they could hear some sort of lesson. So he tells the three parables in chapter 15 about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, the prodigal son. Three lost things that, when found, there was great rejoicing. Well, the last parable, the prodigal son, ends with a joyous celebration that someone refuses to enter into. The Pharisees, Jesus is saying, are like this older brother. 
who they see the tax collectors and sinners, and they should see the Father's heart rejoicing that the lost are coming home. But instead what they see is, well, these people aren't worthy of blessing. Right? And the older brother says, it says he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command that you never gave me a young goat. And the father says, wait a minute. All that I have is yours. There's there's clearly a misunderstanding here. You don't understand what a joyous celebration is, is, is happening. He says, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now he turns to his disciples and tells the story about this manager. So we're still in this scene with the Pharisees. We're still in front of the Pharisees. Jesus is still addressing the Pharisees. And he does for the rest of chapter 16. There's also some parallels. If you read the language of the story, there's some parallels between this and the previous stories. There's a manager who's accused of squandering his riches. Right? The prodigal son, he squandered his wealth. Um, and there's, there's some similar... You know, so he, he's in, a, he, he's in a kind of sort of a, a one after the other telling these stories. So this is just another story to address the Pharisees' complaint that Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. Okay? So that's the backdrop of the story. Now, there's a master and a steward or a manager. All right? And then there are the, the debtors. Those are kind of the key players in the story. The manager, we're not sure exactly what he was doing. He was being dishonest and, and wasting his possessions. He was squandering. That's where the, that, the word comes in. He was squandering his possessions. So he was either embezzling or just he wasn't a very good manager. And so he's, he's on the chopping block. And the manager says, all right, it's, it's, it's going to be time for you to go. Your books are, are all messed up. Right? You're balancing everything with the number 11. If you know what that reference that's for you, Becca. Right. The accounting department. She loves the office. Yeah, okay. Um, your, account, your books are all wacky. Okay, turn in an account of your management, and, and you're going to have to go. Uh, you're going to be fired for, for gross incompetence here. And he has a panic attack. Right? Have you ever been in a situation where like, your, your livelihood's at stake? It's a, it's a troubling thing, right? And you, you don't think in terms of just the regular day-to-day, right? I mean, when your job is going to end, if you've ever been faced with being laid off or just maybe you come to the end of school, what do I do now? And you, you adopt a totally different perspective. Right? You, you, it's not just another day. It's not just business as usual. We've got to do something or else the money's going to stop. So he decides, oh, he has this great idea, this great idea. And it's, it's something of a form of blackmail is what's going on. He goes out and all of the debtors, this is probably a situation where the master is lending. It's basically lending at interest, which was a no-no. But there was a, a way to get around it, where if you lent to other people with, with wealth... Um, it wasn't considered exploitation, and so it was sort of a win-win. Like, I'll give you some capital, and you can make some money, and, but you can pay me for the capital. That I, so they weren't supposed to lend out money with interest, but 
this may have been what this master was doing. And so the manager comes and he basically says, hey, just pay him back the principal. Forget the interest. Just pay him the principal. This, this might have been what, what happened. We're not sure. But this is one, I think, convincing idea. And so what's the master supposed to do? He, he can't go back to the debtors and say, you know what, actually, I know what my manager told me, but I'm going to actually have to ask you for the full amount. Right? It's like if the, if the cashier at TJ Maxx, if Andrew's up, the, up the, over there, and you bring a pair of jeans to the, to the cash register, and he goes, ah, I'm going to give you a really good deal. We give you the employee discount. And you go, oh, man, now I'm, I love TJ Maxx. I'm going to shop here for all my clothes. The manager of that store, even though he's, he's mad that Andrew did it, he's not going to come back and, and make me pay full price. He's going to, he's now in my good favor. What did you say? He would? He fired you. Exactly. But what if he already said that you were going to be fired? And you just started handing out employee discounts everywhere. Yeah, it's a tricky situation. What's your boss going to do about that? So he says, it's basically twisting his, his, his master's arm. Hey, you're not supposed to be lending out money and interest anyway. And I'm just telling these people that you've decided not to, to exact interest. What are you going to do? Because anything you do is going to reveal the fact that you weren't supposed to be doing interest anyway. So what's going on here? So it, he's basically blackmailing his master. And the master goes, he got me. <laughs> he got me. I, I can't do anything about this. I can't, um, I can't go back and get full price. And I certainly can't fire you. I mean, what are my debtors going to say? Hey, where did that one guy go? We like the other guy. <laughs> he gives us a good deal. Why did you fire him? What are you doing? But it's not, so it's not, so we see that and we go, man, that's, that's pretty shady all around. I mean, this is just some shady business dealings. And that's exactly the point. This is a murky situation. On both sides, the master and the steward. And Jesus says, hey, look at this really murky situation. Like, look at, these, look at this mafia deal going on. Aside from the immorality of the whole situation, don't you admire that guy's shrewdness? When life really became, when his job became essential, he, he was able to do something to preserve himself. I like the way that guy thinks. Right? What he needed to happen, happened. He saved his job. And it cost everyone around him a lot of money. It cost his master a lot of money. But man, he can't do anything. This guy made himself indispensable. I appreciate the shrewdness. Don't you admire the shrewdness? And he makes the point. He says, the sons of this world. Look at this shady business deal. And look at the way that a shady lender... uh, was done wrong by his shady steward. And this is the way the world works. But look at the shrewdness. The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And here's where he turns it back on them. So this is not a parable where there's a clear allegory, although you could say that the Pharisees would have seen themselves as the stewards. And God is the master, right? He, he owns everything, and he has, he has given resources to his people. And the Pharisees are representatives of the people of God. They're the stewards of the blessings of God, of the wealth of God. 
And he says, listen, I've been telling you this whole time that the master's not pleased with the way that you've stewarded the wealth. And the way they've been responding is not very shrewd. (laughs) This is what he's saying. The way you all have been responding to this message that there's something, that the kingdom of God is not what you are doing. The way they've been responding is to, and Jesus has, has called them out. They, they put more burdens on people. They tighten the borders. They lock the doors. They fortify their own position. And this is how they respond to the threat of them, perhaps, their management being taken away from them. They, they cling to stuff and become defensive. And Jesus says, that's not what the steward did. And the steward worked the system. And what did he do? He used the master's debtors. He gained their favor by basically giving them a ridiculous deal. And he gained their favor so that he could keep his job. Now we can go a little deeper here. It's the shrewdness that's commendable that Jesus wants to highlight. Remember the the parable of the rich fool back in chapter 12. He says, hey, I got all this stuff. What am I going to do with it? Build a bigger barn. Make more containers. We got wealth coming out of our ears. What are we going to do with it? Make bigger containers. He says, what, what good is that? Right? This, is, this is one of the things that Jesus has been, has been saying about wealth. In chapter 19, a little further ahead, we read it this week. That it's the parable of the ten minas. He gives people wealth to steward. And the ones that do, a, you know, they, they, they succeeded to varying degrees. And he commends them and he gives them more. He actually gives the one that he originally gave the most, he gave, it, gave him even more. But the one that he denounces is the one that was scared and buried their town, made it inaccessible. He said, why didn't you even take it to the bankers? Because then you would have at least gotten interest. Don't you understand how things work? Like, the, the worst possible thing is just to stuff cash in your mattress. I mean, what good is that? It's not going to do anything. It's just going to devalue over time. So in light of his impending termination, the guy figures out how to secure a future for himself. And he says, and that's the way the world works, and you've got to hand it to him. He secured a future for himself. But now he says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little It's also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful with the unrighteous. Oh, the, the, sorry. The other thing he says at the end of that is that I tell you to make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. So that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So we have to, we have to figure out, okay, <laughs> what, what should I do as a result of this parable? Well, let me, keep, let me keep going through this, and I think it'll make more sense. If you then have been not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with that which is another's, 
Who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Basically, the dishonest manager served money. He served his own job. He didn't serve the real master. And he got really creative in the way to serve his master. And Jesus is saying, well, all of, all of the physical wealth, this is just a testing ground for what you're going to do with real wealth. This is just stuff. What do you do with stuff? And that reveals what you do with eternal riches. And here's the kicker. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify themselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The Pharisees had it all backwards. Whenever they were threatened, they tightened up. And become, they ratcheted up the legalism. And they, they, they secure the borders. We must remain the pure people of God. And this is how they've always acted, Jesus says. They have a fundamentally self-preserving system. And that shows, Jesus says, that shows who their true master is. They are rich fools who keep adding and building more barns and, and building themselves up. But don't understand what, what wealth is even for. They're serving the money. Everything that they do is to protect our status, to protect our blessing, to protect our title as the, name, as the, as the people of God. So they don't get it, and they ridicule him because they believe that they most certainly aren't serving money. We're serving God. We are the servants of God. But they implicate themselves in their ridicule. The fact that they don't see what's wrong with what they're doing indicates that they don't serve God. They do serve money. Because if they served God, they too would commend the dishonest steward for his shrewdness. Except not for his self-centeredness, but for his shrewdness. So Jesus is saying... That they are just like the older brother who scoffs when the younger son comes home. That's who they are. They, they care less about the father's heart for his son than they do than he does about his own participation and, and consumption of the wealth. But God knows their hearts. And their value system is not God's. It's self-preserving. It's exclusive. It's legalistic. It's religious snobbery, and it's nowhere near the heart of God. Why is he telling this parable? Because they grumbled that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then... So the law and the prophets... Hey, you guys, I mean, this is, this is who they are. We are the ones of the Law and the Prophets. We read the Law and the Prophets. We have it memorized. And he says the Law and the Prophets were until John. Hey guys, there's something new happening. What is the new thing that's happening? The good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone forces his way into it. Another way to read it, another way to translate it, and you may have this as a footnote in your Bible, is that 
Everyone is forcefully urged into it. Guys, beginning of chapter 15 says, the tax collectors, they were all drawing near. They're all pressing in. They want to be near Jesus. And the people who are supposed to take wealth and pour it out are erecting barriers before those who would come and hear Jesus. And Jesus is saying, what kind of response is that? What you should do if you really understood the heart of God is take all this wealth and lessen the burdens of the people who are trying to get near, who are trying to get into the kingdom of God. Make it easier for people, not harder. This is what the steward did. He said, I know that even if my master doesn't like this, I know that they will love my master. If I take his wealth and just give it out, that's going to endear them to my master. And Jesus says, do you see what he did? Why aren't you taking everything that the law and the prophets speak of and sharing it with these people? Because your time is coming to an end. You better do something about your future. You see what's going on here? He says, a shady manager has a better head on his shoulders on how to navigate life than you all do. Where's the concern for your future? Where's the concern for the God that you say you serve? How are you using your wealth to endear people to Him? Why are you protecting your wealth? You clearly aren't serving God, you're serving money. This is what he's saying. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and people are just flooding in. This is an awesome thing. You should be rejoicing. But then he reminds, because he knows what they're going to say. What about righteousness? What about the law? What about the holiness of God? Well, Jesus has something to say to that. He says, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Not talking about lessening the law. What I am talking about is understanding the heart of the God who gave the law. The law and the prophets are until John. Until, since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone is forcefully urged into it. We are not trying to discourage people from getting in. This is what he's saying. We are not in the business of protecting our status as the people of God. We are in the business of divesting ourselves, depleting ourselves, so that as many people who want to come in, can come in. Endearing as many people, use whatever, that money's just money. It's all going to evaporate. It's all going to, you're not going to leave it to anyone. Use it to at least endear people to yourself so that you can actually, they can actually get a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Open the door. Don't shut it. Ease the burden. Don't pile on. Use your money. Spend your money on the tax collectors and sinners. Don't save it and hoard it and bury it. This is what he's saying. Does it make sense? 
But he has something to say. He's not saying, listen, we don't care about standards anymore. Anybody who wants to get in can get in. No, he's not saying that at all. In fact, he even has some things to say to the Pharisees about their standards and the justice that they abide by because we get this really strangely placed verse. He says, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. So he goes straight for what was common practice among them. Oh, yeah, well, if, if our wife depletes, we, we give her a certificate of divorce and we are able to do this. And he goes, how is that a good reading of the law? Right. So he goes straight for even their, the, what they prided themselves on and what they excluded other people. by. he says, you yourselves don't even really live up to the law in the way that you make everyone else. Right. So here's the, here's the takeaway. Here's the moral of this parable. That it's an eternal perspective and an understanding of God's value system that leads us to a proper use of our worldly possessions and a really understanding of what our worldly possessions are all about. They're just a test. They're just like a, a, a toy sword. Before you get the real one. Right? If you almost poke someone's eye out with a wooden sword, well, what are you going to do with a metal sword? Right? If you, money is just an object lesson. It's a temporary object lesson. To show you where your, where your heart really is. Where is your heart? Is it preserving, hoarding, burying, being fearful? Or is it by any means possible, using this wealth to gain favor with anybody who would press their way into the kingdom of God. And, and make that as easy a, a, a process as possible for whoever wants to come into the kingdom. It meant to eat with tax collectors and sinners and not just your own kind who are the people of God. That's the, that's the, the heart of the parable. So he's telling it to the Pharisees, but it's also for us, right? Anybody that God brings into his family and blesses, which he does, we are part of the family of God. Everybody who's called part of the family of God runs the risk of becoming a Pharisee. We run the risk of not actually serving God, but serving the trappings of being God's people. But all those trappings are about is winning as many people over as we can. Making friends by unrighteous wealth. Stuff that's just going to pass away. Because guess what? Those friendships, those relationships, somebody who actually comes into the kingdom because we opened our door, because we gave them something, because we lessened their load, because we served them in a practical way, someone who comes into the kingdom because of that, well, you've gained something that's worth far greater than that money that you could have, or that wealth, or that time, or whatever it is. It's not just money. That blessing, that substance, possessions. Jesus says, life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. He says this many times, similar things, through the book of Luke. 
What's money for? Well, not for much. But the, probably the best thing you could do for it is to make a friend. And to help them, help usher them into the kingdom in some way. That's the best thing you can do with your money. That's the best thing you can do with your status as part of the people of God. And this is what the Pharisees didn't understand. That's why the shrewdness of the manager is commended. He understands that his current position is coming to an end very quickly. And, and that's what we need to understand. That our life in this world is coming to an end very quickly. And if we are concerned about fortifying, fortifying our life, well, we don't really have an ounce of shrewdness in us. There's a future coming. Are we preparing for the future? Now, the world prepares in this way. They cheat themselves to really make sure that they're going to come out on top. But the the kingdom of God, how do we secure a future for ourselves? We use our money to make friends. We pour out everything that we can to gather up as many people as we can who want to come and, and, and enter the kingdom of God. We urge as many people as we can to come into the kingdom of God. We don't discourage people. We don't turn people away. We just read it tonight. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We use our wealth to compel people. Come on. Yeah. It's yours. And what do we compel them to? The ultimate ridiculous deal. Ridiculous discount. And that is, we bow our knee to Jesus. And he forgives our sins. Right? We are telling people, come in and, and sit down and take your bill that you owe. Guess what? By the blood of Jesus, we're slashing the price. <laughs> right? This is what we do. And, that, and, and we can do that. And that doesn't cheat our master. Why? Because that's his heart. That's what he wants. So we need to be shrewd but not in the service of ourselves and our own future, our own security. We need to be shrewd in the service of the Father's heart, getting what the Father's heart wants. And that is for the lost to come home. That makes sense. And this is an awesome parable. It's, it's tricky at first. But it really makes a lot of sense. And you start to say, man, I, I think I just sit on, my, sit on my wealth a little too much. I think I fortify my own capital a little too much. Chapter 16 ends with a really harrowing story. Probably one of the most harrowing sto- uh, parables in all the Gospels. It's the rich man and Lazarus. And this is the way Jesus kind of signs off this lesson that he's telling them. Listen, if you live for this life, look what you have coming in the next life. If you are divested, if you're poor in this life, look what you have coming in the next life. A shrewd person is one who lives to what they have coming in the next life rather than this life. And that's the shrewdness that that Jesus would commend in all of us. It's an understanding of what the future entails. An understanding of how brief the life that we have right now really is. He says this in, in that parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Abraham said, child, and this is to... 
the rich man. Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. This is what's going on. Hey, Pharisees, you blew it. Your time's coming to an end. What are you going to do? If it were me, I would have I opened the temple wide up, get as many tax collectors and sinners as you can, and have a mass revival. Right? But what were they doing instead? Seeking to exclude and close out and shut the door in people's faces, as Jesus said, and load people with burdens and not lift a finger to lift a single one of them. All right, does that make sense? Does that give you a little more clarity around that, that parable? It's the shrewdness. And he's saying, hey, even in the shady business deal, you can commend the guy for his shrewdness. When he understood that it was coming to an end, he got to work. And we too, we ought to hear that this life's coming to an end. And so Jesus sends us out to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. To be shrewd in this age. Not shrewd to secure our own wealth, but shrewd to win as many people over. To endear as many people, to win the favor of as many people for our master as we can. Amen? So let me read, um, I wanted to close by reading chapter 19. This is really the last parable that Jesus tells before he arrives in Jerusalem. And this is kind of a summary of a lot of the things that he's been teaching. uh, Especially to to the Pharisees. Uh, And they heard these things. He proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received his kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him and said, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. And then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which... I laid away in a handkerchief because I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words. I'm going to treat you the way you treated my money. And in effect, he's saying, I'm going to treat you the way you treated everybody else. Why did you not then put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell, to you, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The one who tries to guard and protect their life 
Jesus says, I'm going to take that away. You think what you're doing is, is preserving yourself, but you're not doing anything of the sort. And I'm going to give it to the one who has. To the one who has, more will be given. God loves to come and, and pour gas on fires. Right? Where you are using your wealth and investing it in people. God comes to love it. He loves to come and say, well, I know what's going to happen with the wealth that I pour out on, on you, and I'm going to give you more. Well, why that? Why that's it? He already has so much. Yeah. But he has so much because he gives so much. And he's a channel of blessing into the earth. And this is what God calls his people to be, a channel of his blessing into the earth. That's why we don't preserve and protect and guard our wealth. We allow it to flow forth from our lives and bless everyone that we touch. And this is what stores up treasure in heaven. Um, So, there you go. The shrewd manager. Do we shrewdly manage? Not in a deceitful way, not in a self-preserving way, but do we shrewdly manage the life that God has, has entrusted us with? He has entrusted you with a life. He's entrusted you with time. He's entrusted you with money. He's entrusted you with relationships. Is your life about securing those things? Or is your life about being generous and pouring all of those things out and gaining as many friends as you can by means of unrighteous wealth? Because if you do that with money, well, then for sure your heart is after God's. For sure you don't serve the money. You're serving the one who gave you the money. And you have his interests at heart. Because of that, in the eternal kingdoms, you will be given much. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, and thank you for how it speaks to us. Lord, we are truly a a massively blessed people. And God, I pray that we would be a people who uh, serves you. Lord, that we would not be deceived into thinking that we can serve God and mammon. Lord, that you give us the perspective that our days are numbered. That we have stewardship over this wealth. And it's not even our wealth, it's yours. We have stewardship over these things for such a brief time. And so God, I pray that you give us the urgency and the shrewdness to leverage what you've given us in every way possible to provide a way into the kingdom for as many people as we can. Give us wisdom in that, Lord. Give us true shrewdness. Help us not to be locked into overly simplistic thinking. Make us wise as serpents, Lord, but innocent as doves, that we would not be cheaters, but that we would leverage everything that you give us. Uh, to the greatest extent possible, Lord. Teach us how to do that in each of our lives with each of the various kinds of of, uh, wealth that you've given us. And Lord, we want to honor you. We say that we want to endear as many people as we can to our master because he is good and he does forgive. And he is waiting uh, to cancel the record of debt that's outstanding uh, for anyone who would come and submit themselves and bow themselves to him. Lord, that's who you are, and that's who we want to be as your people. I ask that you'd help us to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.